From ESPN Films and ESPN Audio, you're listening to 30 for 30+. Plus. My name is Jody Avergan. This is our series of bonus podcasts in between seasons where we have conversations with filmmakers about recent 30 for 30 films. This week, we look at the fall of a coaching legend. Bob Knight started coaching basketball at Indiana University in 1971. He would go on to lead the Hoosiers to three national titles. The superstar coach soon became as famous for his outbursts as he was for his success on the court. Bobby Knight just threw his chair clear across the free throw lane. But in 2000, CNN Sports Illustrated producer Robert Abbott began investigating the dark side to Knight's antics. Former Hoosier star Neil Reed alleged that Knight was verbally and physically abusive towards his players, including Reed himself. Reed has fleshed out the allegations, telling CNN SI that in a fit of usual pique, Knight once put his hands on Reed and put his hand around my throat. He only had, he had one hand. He came out with two hands, but grabbed me with one hand. Though university officials denied the story, Abbott later uncovered a videotape that substantiated Reed's version of events. The episode ultimately led to Coach Knight's firing a few months later after a separate incident. Abbott's investigation is now the subject of our latest 30 for 30 film, The Last Days of Night. Abbott served as both director and narrator for the documentary. So Robert Abbott, welcome to the podcast and congratulations on your new film. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be with you. So let's set a little context here from, say, 1975 to 1985, or pick whatever stretch you want. Can you just describe Bob Knight at the heyday of his coaching? Oh, he was a giant in his coaching profession, in the coaching profession of basketball. Uh, He had a team in 1975 that quite possibly could have been the best team, one of the best teams of all time. And then he turned around the next year and went undefeated and won his first of three national titles and an Olympic gold medal. So when you're creating the Mount Rushmore for college basketball coaches, he's on it for sure. This guy was a basketball genius. I don't have any doubt about that. Indiana's number one. They've won us to the national champion for 1976. I can say it. I, I've never been as proud of a bunch of kids as I am of these guys. I mean, it was like watching in awe his delivery, his ability to communicate his thoughts, his concepts about the game of basketball was unbelievable. Indiana wins the national championship for 1981. Cut the nets down. Let's go. Bob, congratulations. Thank you very much. And he was, I think maybe this inevitably happens when you are successful, you become a personality, but he was also a capital P personality. That was a big part of how the public viewed him, right? He was larger than life. I mean, uh, I interviewed Bob Lee uh, here at ESPN and he said, you know, of all the people he's been around, he's one of the people that can, he can walk in and control a room. But my sense was the one thing that Coach Knight couldn't control was his temper. Oh, you want an answer from me? You get the answer. You don't like the answer. Then don't use the program, okay? The problem became that the antics were defining his persona. There's an anger in him. I don't know where it came from, and I don't, don't know why it stayed, but it was there. It was there all the time. And that's what ended his career at Indiana, his temper. So give us the thumbnail sketch of the allegations and how everything at Indiana unraveled over the course of a few years at the end of his career. I can tell you my journey, and that's kind of what the film is. It's a journalistic journey. In April of 1999, 
I was in my boss's office and we were kind of talking about different stories I could pursue. And Luke Recker had just left Indiana the day before. And my boss, Steve Robinson, said, why would the best player who's scoring all the points, playing the most minutes, he's a Mr. Indiana basketball, he's beloved there, why would he be leaving? And, and it was the third high school All-American in two years who had left. So Steve just asked me a simple question. He said, go find out what's going on up there. And to be honest, I was not excited about the assignment. I said to him, hey, these kids probably aren't tough enough. They're not tough enough to play for a coach like Bob Knight. And that's what I thought it was going to be. And then three days later, I called Neil Reed, who had left. And we talked for about an hour and a half. And he told me a number of stories. And all of a sudden, I said, wow, if what he's telling me is true, there is a story here. And these kids aren't soft and they aren't wimps and they aren't uh, quitters. And the three allegations that we kept coming back to was that Bob Knight put his hand around Neil's throat or choked him, that he wiped his behind. He came out of a bathroom stall with toilet paper in his hand and wiped his behind and said, you guys are playing like SH dot dot. And the third one was that he had kicked President Miles Brand out of practice once. So I think what I did was kind of look underneath the water and say, hey, what, what we saw in press conferences, what we saw on the sidelines was only the tip of the iceberg. And, and I, you know, when Neil Reed and, and other members of the program took me underwater, I was like, wow, this runs deep. But let me, let me press you on that a little bit then, because I'm, I'm trying to figure out if you're saying that people knew about this stuff for a long time and didn't talk, or did you feel like you were uncovering some stuff in that window when you showed up in 1999 that was totally new, the, the side of Bob Knight that people just weren't aware of? I think it had been going on for years, but there was a progression. Uh, for years, Bob Knight had been crossing the line behind closed doors in the locker room. I had heard different variations of the toilet paper incident over the years, but my sense was, Early on, Bob Knight was the same. He had some of the same characteristics and qualities of a temper and an anger, but he would throw his arm around a player. Even if he's cursing and yelling at us, we all understand that he, he wants best for you. And it's not just a, a personal thing, but it's just want, he just wants you to be a better basketball player. I think you can be really tough, and I think you can go right to the line. I think the difference is your players have to know that you care about them. And towards the middle and the end of the 90s, I think he lost touch with his players. There began that stretch of years where Indiana, yeah, they got to the tournament, but suddenly... Indiana bounced out in either the first or second round for the fifth straight time. That, that, that achievement, especially in the early rounds, was gone. I think when he wasn't as successful, I think he ended up blaming the players for, for the lack of success. It couldn't be me. It can't be me. I've won three national titles and an Olympic gold medal. It must be you. Now, I am not here to get my ass beat on Monday. Now, you better stand that right now. This is absolute They're beaten down. I think that's why in the NCAA tournament in the last few years, they've been so unsuccessful. They've lost to teams who aren't as talented. Um, I think that shows that maybe their heart's not in it. You know, the yelling and screaming and... You know, I just didn't, I didn't want to be there anymore, and you know, I just didn't feel like it was any fun anymore. I sort, of lost, I sort of lost the love for the game being there. But I'm curious, just as an observer of Bobby Knight and an observer of 
this institution of Indiana, you know, we're living in a moment where we're seeing that a lot of different communities and worlds are reckoning with this idea of open secrets about awful things sort of existing for a long time. Um, and why, for decades, if there was a sort of understanding that there was this dark side to Bobby Knight, did it not coalesce until 1999? Because he won. Huh. He He's a winner. We deify people who are great. We don't want to hear the dark side of those people because we're fans. They're so good at what they do, they make us feel better about ourselves. So the people in the state of Indiana, you know, a lot number of people told me it's a flyover state. And Bob Knight gave him a sense of, a sense of being. Indiana basketball, and specifically Bob Knight's Indiana basketball, was the state's identity. You can go someplace on vacation and say you're from Bloomington, Indiana, and they say that's Bob Knight's country. He embodied all the qualities that they love, hard work, teamwork. Bob Knight teams worked hard. They were unselfish. They were never about one player. You know, he didn't want names on the back of the jerseys. You're going to go to class. You're going to get your degree. They got good grades. They graduated. Bob Knight didn't cheat. You don't need to cheat. And Hoosiers loved that. He was successful. And everybody shared a part of that success. And that's why they were willing to put up with stories that they had heard about, but they didn't really want to look into. I call him the emperor of Indiana. In a sense, if you're the emperor, you're allowed to do what you want. You want to wipe your ass in front of your team? Have the toilet paper, Bob. And it also ties into, I think, an ongoing conversation, and certainly one that in the last couple of weeks has bubbled back up, which is the power dynamics within the university, the amount of power that a big-time coach has as compared to players, but then even the larger university structure. So what lessons are there in the Bob Knight story about the power dynamics in college athletics? I'm glad you asked that because one of the one of the more interesting parts to the film to me was an interview with Patricia Reed, mm-hmm. Neil Reed's mom. And she said repeatedly, she said, they're just kids. That's the whole point. And they have no power. They have no forum to speak. They have no platform. They're no one. They're kids. They're kids. And I followed sports my whole life. And I love the world of sports. And there's some times when they're in college and they're six foot eight and 265 pounds and they're a power forward, but they're still 17, 18 years old, right? And the power lies in the coach. And people of power are either they wield that power in a way that scares people or people are just afraid to take them on. I mean, everybody was afraid of Bob Knight. There was a fear that was palpable. The fear is the kind of fear that even when they're gone from the program, that this man's influence could follow them and hurt them. And loyalty is a big thing for Coach Knight. If you weren't loyal, he was gonna plot all the stops. He had a network, he could put out the word, he could make life difficult for you, and I think that's why there was a cone of silence around the program for so long. And and that's exerting the power dynamic down from coach to player, but there's also a coach like Bob Knight can exert it up and basically be the most important and powerful person at a university of which he is ostensibly just one employee. I know there's a moment where Coach Knight exerted that power that you're talking about, power in an upward way. In 1988, he sat down with Connie Chung of NBC 
for a special on stress. And it wasn't stress in sports, it was just stress. The topic of rape came up and he said, If rape is inevitable, relax and enjoy it. God, I'm not talking about the act of rape. Don't, don't misinterpret me there. But what I'm, I'm talking about is something's happened to you. That, and so you have to handle it. But what happened, it caused a huge furor. There are many who tried to force Knight to leave, including hundreds who resented the coach's recent controversial comments on rape. If he had said that today in 2018, he'd be fired within a day. Uh, and back then, the president only mildly reprimanded Coach Knight. He didn't really attack him. And yet Knight wielded his power. He went and interviewed for a job at University of New Mexico for their head basketball coach. And all of a sudden, the people in the state of Indiana weren't marching against him. They were marching on the president. How dare you? How can you challenge him? He may leave. What are you doing? Hundreds were rallying outside the assembly hall, showing support and trying to persuade Bobby Knight to stay. I don't think he was going to go to New Mexico, but it was a shot across the bow of the president's office. From that point on, from 1988 on, Coach Knight knew that nobody could touch him in the state of Indiana, and most certainly at Indiana University. What I've learned is it only takes one person to step forward. Next up, we'll hear about Knight's accuser, Neil Reed, and why he made the difficult decision to come forward. More after the break. People won't understand how tough it is. It's not... Like, this just happened one time, or, you know what I mean? This is just an incident. Things happen all the time. So you you mentioned that often it takes one person to step forward and then a larger context to let some of these open secrets become things that actually have an impact. I think it's safe to say Neil Reed is that person in the Bob Knight story? Yes, most definitely. So... For those in the know in and around Indiana basketball and probably in college basketball, they had heard the stories, but nobody had stepped forward like Neil Reed. And Neil Reed, you know, told it to me over the phone, but it took him, I think, 11 months, 10 months to get the courage to sit down on camera with me. So tell us about him. Since he was five years old, Neil Reed wanted to go to Indiana and play for Bob Knight. Coach Knight is why I went there. I knew it would be difficult, and I, and I wanted it to be difficult. I wanted someone to push me and, uh, and make me better. In fact, he didn't visit any other school. He was recruited by every basketball school that you can imagine. He was born to play at Indiana. Neil was a good Knight kind of player. He was a good shooter. He was a very good passer and that he was going to fit really effectively in, in the system. Neil Reed, once again. He was tough, he was hard-nosed, he was scrappy. Neil Reed was this archetype of toughness. Neil was a hard worker, man. He played the game hard, he competed. Neil was the guy that, that guarded the other team's best guard. You know, he was that, that tough-minded kid. Foul, guess who? Neil Reed. Knight was quoted at the time as saying that he didn't have anybody on the team who was tough and playing tough except for Neil Reed and that's what kind of opened my eyes when I you know I called him that first night and he told me a lot of things and as a journalist I'm skeptical of everything anybody tells me so I kept saying is he you know is he is he out to get him 
Did he just not make it? Is he sad because he's not playing in the NBA? And none of that was true. His teammates seem to think that he ended up getting a lot of abuse from Bob Knight because Knight had decided that he could take it. He talks to him like he would talk to his senior point guards. Coach Knight would yell at him sometimes, and I would kind of look at him and see his reaction, and he'll just kind of wink at me, and he'll just go, go on about playing. I think it got to a point where Coach Knight was really riding him kind of hard, and um, Neil just couldn't take it and didn't want to stay. Boom, next thing you know, the choking incident comes up. Uh, coach just, just thrust right at me, just came right at me and put his hand around my throat. He only had, he had one hand, he came out with two hands, but grabbed me with one hand. I can't tell you how many times Neil Reed in the interview said, I'm just telling the truth. Doesn't he say the truth is my, is, is the weapon I have yeah. or something like that? I mean, it's really a remarkable statement. It seems so strange that the only weapon that I have to fight this battle with is the truth. And it seems like such a small weapon. You know, I mean, you would think that the truth is what everyone wants to know and everyone wants to hear, but it's not what, what everyone wants to know. That was in my original story for CNN that uh, aired in 1999, and it's part of the film now because it's true. He wasn't out to get Coach Knight. That's one thing that I want. If people take anything from this film and this podcast, it's like he just wanted to get it off his chest. Yeah. He had kept it inside for a long, long time. And sadly, on my part, it may be 18 years later, I'm finally getting that part of the story out. So this is a big theme, and I think the most affecting part of the film is the way in which you are grappling with your role in telling this story and realizing, as you said, not until 18 years later, that, and tell me if you think this is a correct characterization, you were pursuing a news piece, and in retrospect, you recognize that there was a real human being who was telling you things that maybe they hadn't told anyone else and was going through an emotional process and you were maybe blind to that. Yes. I, it's where I failed 18 years ago was when we aired our first piece where Neil Reed made these allegations, he became public enemy number one. Wasn't the time to be come forward a couple of years ago? It seems a little late in the game to be uh, making smoke about it now. I think it's pretty ridiculous that he's now coming out and saying this after he was, he's was he been gone for a couple of years. You know, I think Bobby Knight's doing a great job. The basketball program was denying everything. I never saw Coach grab uh, Neil around the neck or choke him in any way. Associate Athletic Director Steve Downing said he conducted a full investigation into the alleged matter involving Neil Reed three years ago. Downing says he talked to Reed, and Reed said Knight never choked him. Said Downing today in the statement, how is it possible for everything to have changed three years later? The Indiana basketball program, the fans, even executives at the university attacked him. And they attacked the journalism in the piece, they attacked me, they attacked CNN. And at that point, I focused too much on defending the journalism in the story. I ended up getting the tape and that empowered a lot of people. And what I did is I never told the human story that was sitting right in front of me. You know, whatever happened to Neil Reed, what was it like to speak out and be the one that everyone was attacking? And this tape shows that an incident happened where Coach Knight put his hand around his throat. And that's, that's what I missed. But I wasn't going to miss it again in this film. 
if Coach Knight was sitting here and you watched it, what would you ask him? I wouldn't him be here. Say? I wouldn't be here. I just wouldn't be here. Why? Uh, because I don't plan on seeing him again. Neil Reed died at a young age, as you describe in the film. And you talk a little bit about overcoming some of the pain that he suffered under Bob Knight. Did he ever find closure, if that's the right word? There's something that I wanted to have in the film from day one, but it just never quite fit. Ten days before Neil Reed died, and this was right at the height of the Jerry Sandusky trial, and I'm paraphrasing now, Neil on Twitter said, I now more than ever believe that we're just here to be kicked, punched, choked, and raped in the shower so a select few can be worshipped like gods. <sighs> and it's a pretty powerful thing to put on Twitter 10 days before you die. So when you ask me if it ever left him, it never left him. Mm-hmm. But in many ways, he kept it locked away somewhere, and he didn't bring other people down with it. I mean, when he was a, a coach... When he was on the campus at you know, Pioneer Valley High School in California, he was the Pied Piper. He was just this big, lovable bear. One of the most lively, most full of energy, just honestly happiest guys I've ever known. He had such an addicting and infectious smile. Every kid I talked to said they just loved running into him. They loved being around him. A lot of kids out there don't have a father figure they don't have a friend and he became that father figure and a friend to countless students out there and to me that's what a coach is in an early morning telephone conversation with coach Knight today I gave him the option of resigning as head basketball coach he declined and I notified him that he was being removed as basketball coach effective immediately Bob Knight did not get a chance to write the final line on his Indiana resume. It was written for him. It will read, fired. Bobby Knight never granted you an interview, not back then when you were doing your reporting and not for this film. What would you want to ask him? In the moment, back in 1999 and 2000, when I was reporting it, I would have wanted to ask him just about the actual incident with Neil Reed. Like, why did you grab him around the throat? And does he regret anything? Does he regret any of his actions? And at least publicly, to date, he really doesn't. And there's a moment in the film where we hear from him fairly recently when he made a phone call to the Dan Patrick show and he really displays a real lingering bitterness. As far as the hierarchy at Indiana University at that time, I have absolutely no respect whatsoever for those people. Most of those people aren't, aren't, aren't all those people out of there, though, Coach? I hope they're all dead. Well, I know some of them are, but um, I don't know. I, I, well, I, I hope the rest of them go. There is no reflection or atonement at all. There's a, I think there's a lack of self-awareness. Yeah. Uh, at least that he exhibits publicly. Privately and to his friends, he may talk about it. There's a bite from Dick Vitale towards the end of the film where he paints a picture of how much it hurt Coach Knight to be let go by Indiana. And I saw a side of Bobby then that was unreal. Contrite, sitting there, sad as can be. He loved Indiana. It was, his heart was taken from him. 
when they fired him on that day. And he feels that Indiana University and the, the administration that fired him was disloyal. I spent 29 years there. Look what I did. And you fired me. He just can't get past it. I've been fired in a job. I moved on, right? It ain't fun. I know what Coach Knight went through. <laughs> Nobody wants to be fired. Nobody wants to be let go. But you can either be miserable or you can move on. And Neil Reed moved on. You would think that Reed would be angry, bitter, and miserable for the rest of his life. But he didn't live with that chip on his shoulder. And I think that's the most powerful part of the film. Neil wanted to move on. And talking to me was part of the process of letting go. And I think Coach Knight can learn a lesson from Neil Reed. I'm not a vindictive person. I don't, I don't hold grudges. And, I, you know, I just want to be happy and, and uh, be successful and, and go on. So... Robert Abbott directed the new 30 for 30 documentary, The Last Days of Night. The film is exclusively available with the brand new ESPN app on the streaming service ESPN Plus, which just launched. With the new app, you get even more ESPN with live sports and the entire 30 for 30 film library. You can download it now and enjoy your first 30 days of ESPN Plus for free, sponsored by American Express. We've included a link to download the app in the description of this podcast. And another quick note, very soon we will be sharing more details on our upcoming third season of 30 for 30 podcast, which will be entirely devoted to one story, our first serialized story. It's five parts on the complicated world of Bikram yoga. It's the story of how one man used his connections with celebrities and athletes to launch a fitness empire and the sexual assault allegations that are tearing that community apart. It gets at all the things we try and look at here at 30 for 30, the intersection between power, culture, and athletics. We are very excited about this season, so stay tuned for more information, including an exclusive trailer in this feed real soon. This episode was produced by Nina Ernest with help from Ryan Nantel, Vin D'Anton, Paul Williard, Aaron Leiden, Jennifer Thorpe, and Josh Macri. My name is Jody Avergan. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon with more 30 for 30.